You are listening to a true gospel perspective from our Macedonia Baptist Church ministerial staff. We pray that this message will be a true blessing to you. We thank God for all that he does. If you would bow your head, dear eternal God, our Father, we come to you this morning, God, and we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, God. We take nothing for granted, God, for we realize that you owe us absolutely nothing, but you've offered us everything in your son, Jesus Christ. So God, we pray right now, God, as our hearts are fixed towards heaven, as we endeavor to hear from heaven and to hear the words that your Holy Spirit will give this morning, God. Bless us, Heavenly Father, Lord, that we might be able to receive your word with gladness, that we might understand that it's your word that's working inside of us that conforms us into the image of your Son, Jesus the Christ. God, we thank you for every listening ear, and we pray right now, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you would have rule over the rest of this service, God, that every word that would be spoken from behind this sacred desk would, Lord, be your words, God. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Give honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, to our pastor, Emeritus Pastor Charles Twyman, to all the rest of the preachers that are in attendance this morning, and all of you, my father's children. We greet you in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. He is worthy to be praised. This week has been a week of great difficulty, but a week in which God has shown me that he's still in control. What he told me is that it does not matter what you come up against. I've got you. And this is a lesson in learning how to walk in faith. During some of my devotional time, I ran across an article, and I was so intrigued by the title of this article that I want to tag it for my title of this message today. The name of the article was entitled, Easter is Over, What Now? This article was written to show us the importance of what Easter means. Most of us were here last Sunday and we seen the great event that we have not seen in over a year of us coming into one place and worshiping God together. Us coming and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Perhaps the greatest day in the history of mankind was the day that Jesus Christ stepped out on resurrection ground historical day, a day that will go down in infamy. It's a great day. It's a day that will never be repeated. But we yet and still, we still celebrate it every year. The problem with Easter is that a lot of times it is such a great event. It is well attended at church services. It is perhaps the most religious 
attended church function of the year. But the problem with it is, is that Monday is coming. And what happens when you come from this great event to Monday morning? Or each successive day coming after that? How do we act? What are we supposed to do? You see, because the Easter message or the resurrection message is actually our salvation message. Because without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Everything that we do from there on is to demonstrate what has happened on Easter Sunday morning. What we do after then is to celebrate what we did after we've been saved by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so we have this great event that we celebrate every year. And so if you would, if you would take a look back in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28, we'll see the instructions in which Jesus gave his disciples after the resurrection. This is what we should be doing. Beginning at verse number 16, the 28th chapter of Matthew. And it reads, And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the world. These were the instructions that Jesus gave his disciples. This was the Great Commission. In other words, you can say that this is the church's marching orders. This is what we should be doing as the church, as the body of Christ. Ushers, you may be seated. As the body of Christ, we've received our instructions. And understand that the Great Commission was given that we might have some type of order in what we do as the church. The first thing that we notice in this text is that they're coming off, perhaps like I said, the greatest event that has ever happened in the history of mankind. A lot of times it's difficult to come behind such a great event. But Jesus prepares their hearts and get them to understand, listen, that they were saved to serve. And much in the same way, brothers and sisters, we've been saved to serve. We are not, we're not saved that we might be able to just gloat in it and just sit and, and, and wonder how wonderful life really is. Because understand that if you have been saved by the power of God, it is not going to be a comfortable position. You will meet some opposition. You will meet some difficulties you will meet some people who will come against the adversary will get busy in your life. 
And I don't know, I, I don't know. It, it, it just seems, it, since I got serious about what I've been doing for God, it seems as though the enemy has really been coming against me. And even though I don't go looking for trouble, trouble is always on the horizon. These disciples will find the same thing. So Jesus teaches them. He commands them. The disciples are, have assembled themselves in Galilee. And they're following the instructions of the women that had come and told them that Jesus had rose from the dead. He told them the instructions to tell his brethren to go to Galilee where he would show himself to them. And so the first thing we see is that Matthew regards these same men that had abandoned Christ, that had forsook Christ, that had denied Christ, he still regards them as being disciples. But understand here that he only numbers 11 disciples. For we know that Judas, who perpetrated as a disciple, like many people in the church are perpetrating to be Christians, is not there. He's absent. But these 11 ones, the ones that Jesus is still working with and will ultimately work through, are obedient to him and gone into Galilee just like he told them to. God has given us some instructions. He's given us some instructions. He, he's told us what we must do through this commission, through the word of God, through the preached word. We know what we're supposed to do. The problem is that we're not always doing what we're supposed to be doing. And don't you know that there are, there are millions of people who are dying and on their way to hell because the church is neglecting to do what we should be doing. When we become witnesses, when we testify of the goodness of Jesus, when we sit down and have dialogue, meaningful dialogue with people about our salvation, when we stop being afraid and ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and ashamed to tell people that, yes, I am a Christian. Because there's a blessing in being a Christian. There's a blessing in being a true Christian, should I say. I tell you, the times that I perpetrated being a Christian, Rem Bennett, was one of some of the most frustrating times of my life. Because I tried to fool you. And you know the old saying, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you'll never fool all the people all of the time. There were some holes in my game. And it was most frustrating. But it wasn't until I got serious about this commission. It wasn't until I made sure that I was, listen, a disciple. Because what a disciple is one that has been disciplined in the ways of another. And you will not be characterized as a disciple until you obey God's word and become disciplined in what he said. Coming to church does not make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. Giving your hand to the preacher on, on first Sunday is not what guarantees you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
These disciples were obedient. They had received the word that came from Christ himself and were obedient to him and were where they were when they were supposed to be there. Can we say the same? Disciple one who has been discipled by Christ. Disciples love the word of God. Disciples just... We don't just love to hear the word of God. We love when the word of God makes a change in our lives and we begin to walk out and do the word of God. That, that's what real disciples are excited about. I'm excited when I see God doing something in my life. I'm excited when I used to get upset about that just a few weeks ago. Now I'll have peace with it. Because if there's anything that has tried my faith as a Christian has been the last four years. And in particular this year that we just came into. Been difficult. There's times that yes, I, I, even I, I want to give up. There's times that I want to say this is not working for me. Well God never promised that it would work for you. But he did promise that it would work for the good of the that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So I let God work out all the details. I just obey him to the best of my ability. No, no, I haven't gotten it all right. No, there's sometimes that I act and strike out on my own as well. There's times that I have to go down on bending knees and beg and plead God to forgive me for what I've just said or what I've just done. But I get up. And I start all anew again. Discipleship does not mean perfection. It means that you are genuinely in progress of becoming in the image of Christ Jesus himself. Because we are disciples. We are Christians. We are Christ-like. And no, you cannot be Christ, but you can be Christ-like. That means you, 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 you can't act like Christ. Scripture said, let this mind be in you. That was already in Christ's mind. In other words, you need to start thinking like Christ thinks. When you look at your situation, your circumstances, the storm that you're going through, think about it like Christ thinks about it. Why? Because we're disciples. And understand this as well. You'll never get out of discipleship training as long as you live. you always be discipled every day that you live. None of us will ever arrive to a place to where we finish the course until we die. But until then, we'll continue to be discipled. We'll continue to learn and to get better and better and better and better. Because we're disciples. At least we should be disciples. These, these, these disciples were obedient. They received the word of God with gladness. And they were obedient. And look at here. In verse 17 it says, and, and when they saw him, listen, this is a key. They worshipped him. But some doubted. Now how in the world could you doubt? Here it is that you have the risen Savior standing before you. But yet and still, there's still some doubt that is going on. Understand this, that, 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 that Satan is busy. And even though you had these 11 that were bowing down and were worshiping him, there were still some disciples because you understand that the 11 disciples were not the only disciples that Jesus had. 
the, the, the 11 was the one that he had picked firsthand to be the one, followers of his, that would go on to be apostles. But there were other disciples. As a matter of fact, in the, in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he said that he was seen of 500 at one time. The thinking is that that, that 500 were, perhaps there were some in there that began to doubt that if this was really who they were seeing, are we really seeing this? Well, he told them, handle me. Touch the nails prints in my hand. Thrust your hands into my side. You see, a spirit cannot be touched like that. But they were able to touch him. They were able to worship him. So the second thing that we understand about the disciples is that they know how to worship God. You see, because disciples never miss an opportunity to worship God. Every chance you get to get into a house of worship, you should worship God. But understand, this is not the only place you can worship him. You see, we need, we need to start being worshipful even on our job. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I have a, a, a job where I'm, I'm in and out of meeting, especially with COVID. We've been doing a lot of Skype meetings or Zoom meetings or team meetings, but it's over, it's over the laptop. You know, I mean, we, we can hear each other. We can talk to each other. We could be thousand miles away, uh, Mexico, Nicaragua, whatever. And I was in a particular meeting, and I received a phone call from a brother, and I began to tell, talk to him and, uh, you know, console him. Uh, I think I shared this with you guys. But I began to console him, and I ended it like I say I did. I, I ended it in prayer. But I forgot to put the mute button on. So the whole conversation, the whole prayer was heard by everyone that was on the call. And <laughs> I guess I must have accidentally turned down the volume because I didn't hear anybody. They kept saying, Terry, we were trying to tell you, you know, <laughs> you pray, hit your mute button. But they heard the whole prayer. But that's what I have established at my job. And so just the other day, we had a difficult time at work, a difficult season at work. And my manager, who is not a Christian, called me and said, Terry, you need to pray that we get through this. But this is how God will work. If you're a true disciple of God, if you really know how to connect with God, if you really know how to come into God's presence, it's not evasive, but it's contagious because people will begin to see it and people will begin to desire it. We're not to go and beat people over the head with the word of God. We're to be a demonstration of what the word of God looks in physical. That's what we're to do. We're to live that people might want what we have, that they'll desire to have what we have, the peace that we have. Yes, when everything is falling apart on the job, I, I try to, as much as I can, I try to remain calm. I try to get, we, we can get through this. And I wake up every morning praying not just for my family, but I pray for my coworkers. I pray for those that I'm going to engage. God, give me the wisdom and the words to say that I might be again. This is what disciples do. I'm just trying to help you get to a place of discipleship. 
Most of us, if not all of us, have come into Macedonia Baptist Church and we joined and we went through discipleship training. But just because you go through discipleship training does not mean that discipleship stops. As a matter of fact, they give you the tools that you might be able to carry on with your discipleship. So how are we to make disciples? Well, the text tells us that we're to teach. We're to teach. Well, who are we to teach? Well, Jesus tells us. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But understand this, understand this. Let me digress, let me back up a little bit. Because in verse, in, in verse number 18, because that's where authority comes to teach. It says, it says, and Jesus came and spoke unto them and saying, all power, listen here, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In other words, Jesus said that I have all power to do everything that I need to do. Jesus has the authority, but he also has the power. Some translations translate this word as power, others as authority, and they are two different entities. Because you can have the power, but yet not have the authority to use the power. In this case, Jesus used this, the Greek word, and it means both to have power and authority. This is not just being able to have the ability to do so, but you have the right as well to do so. Here, here, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Most of us know Chuck Jackson. Chuck Jackson is a hunter. Chuck Jackson has all kinds of firepower at his disposal. He showed me these guns not too long ago. He has a 30-yard six. He has a black power right. He has a 12-gauge shotgun. All of these have power to bring down a deer. But understand that Chuck Jackson does not have the authority to go out in, whenever he wants to and shoot a deer. It's not until deer season starts that he has the authority to use the power in which he, he has. Much in the same way that Christ has delegated the power and the authority to us to make disciples of all men. You cannot make disciples without that power. And that's why Jesus told him to go away and tarry until the power has come upon you. And that's the day that the church began. Because even though they had the power, they had not had the authority yet to do what God has called them to do. So if we're going to make disciples, we must first have the power and authority that is delegated by Jesus Christ himself. That power comes by way of the Holy Ghost, the dunamis power, where we get our word dynamite. It's power. We have the authority, the power to make disciples. But first we must make sure that we have been discipled. We must make sure that we have been discipled. And the only way that we can make sure that we've been discipled is that we get into the word of God, that we study the word of God, that we rightly divide the word of God, that not only do we learn the word of God, but we apply the word of God to our lives. What will we be? We've got without God's instructions, the church would be out of control. But here we see that we're to get into God's word. We've received our instructions through the word of God. Because discipleship is made through teaching and not necessarily preaching. 
Teaching has been a lost art in the church today. It's time out for us wanting to be entertained. It's time out for us wanting to be our, 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 our fancies tickled by the preacher. It's time for us to understand that it's teaching that's going to get us over. And we need to be rightly instructed, instructed by the word of God. So that's the only thing that's going to get us. And we wonder why. We wonder why we keep struggling. We wonder why we keep failing at this thing. Perhaps we don't come to Sunday school. Perhaps we don't come to Bible study like we should. Perhaps we're not getting the teaching that is needed. And there are some times that if you won't come to Bible study, if you will not come to Sunday school, then teaching needs to come across this desk. Because we need to be instructed on how to live the Christian lives in which God has called us to. This is what, this is what the writer here is talking about. He's saying to teach. That is to sit down and to instruct, to give instruction, to give application to the word of God. To let you know exactly what God expects from you. Because you do realize that God expects something from us, right? He gave his all. He expects something in return from us. But what we give him is voluntary. It's something that we give back to him, that we render unto him. He's not going to take your service. But he expects you to render your service unto him. This is, this is his expectation. This requires all of us to reevaluate our Christian walk. Are we doing everything that we could to make sure that we're discipled and people around us are discipled? Or we are sitting back, enjoying life, really not caring about anybody else but ourselves. We need one another. We're all a part of God's family. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's family. I'm going to pray for you. I hope you're praying for me. Because we're all a part of God's family. So he tells them that we are to teach. And then he instructs us that we're to baptize. Now here's an interesting point because baptism here is referencing to water baptism, but understand that there is another baptism that must take place prior to water baptism. And that is a spiritual baptism where we're baptized into the body of Christ. In other words, the word baptized there is baptismo, which means to place into. In other words, what happens is that when you become saved, when you genuinely give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit takes your life and places you into the family of God. This is a spiritual baptism. This is something that only God can do. Anybody can come join the church and get water baptized, but the spiritual baptized is what really makes the difference in your life. And if you have not been spiritually baptized, then you are not saved. And it does not come by speaking in tongues either. This is a new birth that God gives the believer. 
a new birth that he gives us. And it lets us know that we're in the family of God. Water baptism lets the world know that you're in the family of God. But spiritual baptism lets us know that we've been redeemed by an almighty Savior. We've been born again. Those are shouting words right there. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for bringing me out of my sinfulness and giving me a new life. Anybody glad about a new life? Amen, amen, amen. I'm glad that God saved my soul. Glad that he made me whole. Because I know that I was a wretch undone. I know that I was messed up, jacked up. But God saved me by his supernatural power. Teaching us. And then even after baptism, there's still a need for teaching. Understand, understand that discipleship, baptizing and teaching go hand in hand. It is continuous that we're to continue to teach the word of God. To instruct ourselves. There's times as disciples, you need to have some devotion time, some devotional time for just you and the Lord alone. There's some time that you need to leave your phone and put it on airplane mode somewhere else because that's the biggest distraction to devotional time with God is those phones. Put your phone away. Turn off the TV. And just spend some time with God. I mean, even if you just do it in degrees, just try spending 10, 15 minutes a day to start your day with God. Talking to him, sitting quietly and let him talk back to you. Hearing what he has to say. God will, tell you, will show you how to work out every situation in your life if you just sit still in his presence and listen to him. He wants to do that. Don't you know that God sees every pitfall you're about to come into? And he wants to tell you how to navigate around it. He wants to tell you how to get around the pitfalls. But it takes us spending time with him. Some, 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 some things need to be self-taught. Because nobody knows you better than you know you. You know what your struggles are. You know how to get in the word of God. And let it speak to your heart. And then you have the Holy Spirit that will tell you when you're wrong. You don't necessarily need me to tell you you're wrong. The Holy Spirit will tell you and show you how wrong you really are. So we are to teach. But even after then, even after making disciples and ensuring that we're disciples, God gives us a promise as believers. Because he said, lo, I am with you, even into the ends of the world. In other words, no matter what you go through, no matter what it takes to make your discipleship real, God says that I'm with you. No matter what hardships you have to face, God said, lo, I am with you. No matter what comes against us, lo, I am with you. If you lose your job, lo, I am with you. If you get sick in your body, lo, I am with you. Doesn't matter what comes my way, lo, I am with you. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. That's a promise. That's one of God's promises. 
that he's not, he will never forsake you. He'll always be there for you. Always be there with you. Even in our darkest moments, God is still there. Even when loved ones will turn their backs on us and they'll talk behind our back, God is still with us. Still has us. Why? Because he's that kind of God. And I wouldn't serve any other kind of God. This is the only kind of God that I could serve. Because this is a God that loves me unconditionally. No matter what I do, in spite of myself, God still loves me. I'm grateful for it. Because he loved me enough to give his son. Y'all know the story. He came down through 42 generations. You know, you know the story. How he came down through 42 generations. Came wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Healing the sick and raising the dead. That's what he did for you. That's what his love did for us. Yes, they marched him from judgment hall to judgment hall. They nailed him to an old rugged cross. Nailed him in his hands and nailed him in his feet. Pierced him in his side. But great God Almighty, he rose on the third day with all power. Yes, Easter is over, but what now? What now is that we need to make disciples of those who are lost. We need to be busy about saving souls, giving honor to God. Let them know that there is a risen Savior. That's what we need to do. What now? What now is that we get up and we get busy for the cause of Christ. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. You do know he's coming back, don't you? You know that we're waiting for the trumpet to blow. We're waiting for the sky to crack open. And that Christ come and to rapture his church off the earth. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to it. Because it's coming. And he'll come back again. And establish his kingdom right here on earth. And if you'll be persecuted with him, you're going to reign with him. He's coming back. Will you be ready? Will you be a disciple of his? That all remains to be seen. Because discipleship is more than just talking about being a disciple. It's an action word. It's lived out. Please stand to your feet. We hope you enjoyed this message today. And we pray that it was a true blessing to you. If you are interested in learning more about Pastor Charles D. Twyman and the Macedonia Baptist Church family, you can reach out to us at www.mbcdet.com. Thank you, and God bless you.